I, you know, that's funny because I was the same way. Like I hated how I sounded. I hated my own voice. But then as I started making more video content and audio content, I started to realize I sound the same as I do in person. You know, when you hear your voice in person, you think you sound different. Yeah. But when you do it more and more and more, you start to notice like, oh, no, there's no difference. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I think it's like the lack of exposure of like listening to my own voice. I'm like, oh, why does it sound so weird? Do I sound like that? Yeah, exactly. It's weird. It makes sense. Well, first off, I want to thank you for coming on to the show. Um, and Thanks for having me. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and just kind of um, what you do as an artist? Because I reached out to you because you're you're such a uh, out there artist. I don't know how to even explain because you work in so many different mediums of art and you do digital, you do oil paintings, you do all this stuff. And I was like, this girl is doing such a great job. I want her to design my logo. Well, thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> Where do I start? Um, yeah, I've just have always been like an artist or like a maker, I guess. Um, yeah, I've just always kind of like looked for different uh, outlets for my creativity and just like different ways to express myself. And like, I feel like it's really just evolved over the years and like, taken many forms. And, um, I feel like some things I've like left behind, but then like came back and revisited later, but yeah. So I do painting. I think painting is always going to be like my thing that I, I'm always going to do like other things, maybe not so much anymore, but, um, painting, I do oil painting, acrylic, watercolor. Um, there's even other like paints I haven't tried that I want to try. Um, when I, graduated from high school. I went to fashion design school cause I thought I wanted to be a fashion designer. And, um, I loved that experience. Like I did the fashion design program at slick and it was really cool. And I had a really great time and like no regrets there. But like when I was done with it, I was like, okay, I don't really want to do this anymore. So like, I'm going to move on to something else. So it was that for a long time, like I had always been into sewing, like since middle school, that was like totally my thing, like making all my own clothes. And then, um, yeah, so I did the fashion design thing and then I kind of shifted more into like jewelry making and like I did like makeup art for like a couple of years. I had some jobs doing that and like even did jobs for people's like weddings and like Halloween makeup and like. I worked for this really cool group for a while called Sketch Cabaret, and it was just like a volunteer thing, but it was a really rad group that I met when I did an um, art show. One time I was showing some jewelry that I had made, and I ran into this girl, and she's like, oh, she's like, we have this group called Sketch Cabaret, and we do, it's basically like figure modeling, but it's like, it's like a whole production. Like they would hold, um, shows basically at like Metro. I don't know if you remember the old Metro. Oh yeah. That, that was down off like first South and like downtown area. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they would do, I think they did shows there. Maybe it was a newer one I'm thinking of, but anyway, it was like a whole production. So they would have like models come and like pose and we would, um, make them up basically. Like I was one of the makeup artists and I did their makeup like, and I just did like crazy shit, like whatever the theme was for the show. And um, they would dress up and they would pose and people would come with their sketchbooks and draw these figure models. And it was really cool and fun. And so I did that for a while, like as a makeup artist and now correct me if I'm wrong, Brianna, but we met in 
sophomore year of high school. Weren't we in a chemistry class or something together? Yeah. And I remember one of the first forms of art I got from you, which was so intriguing to me, is you were doing these Barbie doll heads. <laughs> yeah. And you were like yeah. selling them for like five or six bucks. And yeah. you made these Barbie doll heads look horrific. Like there were like <laughs> bobby pins sticking through the eyes and everything like that. I was like, this girl is rad. Like, this is someone I need to talk to and become friends with. So growing up, what got you interested in art? Was it family members? Because you come from kind of an artistic family. Your mm-hmm. father is into music and everything of that nature, right? Was your mother into art at all? Um, no, but she was a seamstress. Like she always would make her clothes growing up. She would make her Halloween costumes. And like, I just always loved that. Like it was so fun, like teaming up with my mom and like going to the fa- uh, fabric store and like picking up fabrics and looking for patterns and she would just make stuff for us and I just loved it. And like, I eventually just started doing it and she was always really good at it. And so, yeah, I definitely got that from my mom and then, yeah, my dad with the music and I was never into music. Like my brother was always, you know, the musical one, but I just got like the more visual art. But, um, my dad is like, his side of the family is really creative too. Like his dad, my grandpa was, always a maker like he was a woodworker and like he even got into painting in his later years and was really good like a really awesome painter so I feel like it's just from both sides like my mom like the more crafty and my dad probably more of like the technical aspect because he's also an engineer and like so yeah both so from both sides of the family just different kind of influences influence that yeah artistic realm Mm -hmm. on you now in high school you started selling art like these doll heads and things like that. Is that when you kind of got into your mind? Because like I wasn't into any form of art until after high school. I was a terrible painter, terrible at drawing, terrible at never even touched or dabbled in photography until my uh, early to mid twenties, but you were always into art. So was it something because I was always like career driven, like you're going to go become a firefighter or a police officer or something of this nature and never even looked at art as an avenue, but outside of high school, you said you started going to school for seamstress stuff. Was there ever a path of something that you thought you wanted to do other than art for your profession or has art always been kind of a venture for you? Um, I feel like I was and have always been and will always be someone who struggles with what am I going to do with my life? Because just like how I am with art, like how I always want to be doing different things and like abandoning one thing and picking up a new thing. I feel like I'm like that with careers too. Like after I finished fashion design school and I didn't really care to do that anymore, I went to school for psychology, which I don't regret that, but it's like not really a super useful degree. I just thought that it, I just think that's interesting. I've always thought that was interesting. And so I was like, Oh, I'll I'll go this route. And like, I didn't really have a plan there. I just thought it was interesting. I didn't want to necessarily be like a therapist or anything, but I did work for a, a therapy clinic for four years. And then I just kind of like started thinking about it again and like wanting to challenge myself. And I was like, all right, I I need to do something else with my career. And so I started kind of looking into like the more medical side and I was like, I'm going to be a physician assistant. And so (laughs) I like, 
quit my job and I like got a job as a CNA because if you want to be a PA, you have to have patient care hours. So I like became a CNA and then I became a medical assistant and then I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. I was like, oh, I actually don't like seeing patients. (laughs) (laughs) It actually really is shitty (laughs) or it can be like, it's cool to help people, of course, but like, I just don't think that's my personality to be like, I'm more of a behind the scenes person. So I just started figuring out that I actually really liked the lab aspect of medicine. And so when I was a medical assistant, I was doing phlebotomy and I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like we're, we're, what's going on with all this blood? Like where are we sending this blood and what are all these tests are running on this, on this blood? And so I kind of started looking into that and I was like, oh, there's actually this other program that sounds more interesting, which is a pathologist assistant. Um, and I was just kind of looking into those programs instead. And I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. Like pathology, like that's right up my alley. So I got a job at a lab in a pathology lab. And is that currently what you're doing now? Yeah. So I'm a histology technologist now. I got certified recently, actually. What the heck is it? <laughs> Unbox that for me real quick. Sorry. I've just done so many things. I'm like, oh, I, I, just- I'm I'm the same way, though, because out of high school, I really wanted to go into law enforcement. Yeah. And then I started to realize <laughs> I would probably be one of the worst cops ever because I cannot. <laughs> Why inf- is that? I can't enforce laws that I don't deem to be like in my mind, logical or lawful. Like, yeah, that makes sense. If someone had weed on him, I'd be like, get out of here, just go or yeah. <laughs> like any type of drug or something like that. So I was yeah. like, but then you have to meet a quota. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, I won't go into law enforcement. Then I went into um, uh, the fire academy, really enjoyed that experience, but quickly figured out in the fire academy that I am deathly cla- uh, claustrophobic, like tight oh, spaces. Yeah. I never knew this. And they had this uh, exercise that they made us do called, um, they called it Hell House. And they would put you on your SCBA gear and everything like that. So you're on air. So you're already kind of like confined. And then they put you through these like obstacle courses. And I freaked out. I remember I was in the first group and I felt so bad because I didn't make it all the way through the first obstacle course. And I like pulled my mask off. It's like, fuck this. Get me out of here. I don't want to be in here. And so they make you do it again. But after watching more people go through it, people panicked and things of that nature. But I was like, if I'm panicking in a safe environment, I don't think I want to be doing this in a house that's burning. Yeah. So, and I I really enjoyed the medical aspect of it. Like I was an EMT for quite a while, um, worked on movie sets and worked up as Kennecott as an EMT, but quickly realized like just as an EMT basic, you're not going to make good money. Yeah, I, it's they, like, they get paid terribly. Oh, it's so God. it's offensive. It is how bad they get paid. I know they're saving people's lives, right? And then I was like, well, you could, you could up your career, do like EMT advance, and work into paramedic. But even paramedics at their levels are making like forty five thousand dollars a year, and I'm like, yeah. that doesn't sound like enough money for me for the danger you're putting yourself in the schooling you have to do and all of this. And not to mention the uh, things that come out of those careers, like PTSD and all that stuff from being repeatedly exposed to time and time again, terrible situations. And I was, I have the shakiest hands. So I have resting tremors. It's so funny. 
all my friends are always asking me, what's wrong with you? Did you drink too many energy drinks or something like that? But I'm like, no, I just have resting tremors. I'm on a medication that helps mitigate them. But I was like, I remember um, I was practicing in the basement of Salt Lake County's emergency uh, management division where I uh, learned my EMT stuff and the paramedics were doing their class there. And I was there early and they're like, hey, come come help us um, start intravenous lines and stuff. I was like, sure, what the hell, I'll try this. And trying to stay steady enough to like put a, a needle into someone's like, this ain't going to happen for me. Like, this is not in my deck of cards. Like, everyone's like, what, what's wrong with you? I was like, I'm, I'm trying. And the more fine, minute things, like if you give me a needle and thread, I am not getting that through the little eyelet. They're like, no way. So I had to drop out of, I didn't drop out of that. I graduated the fire academy and still had my EMT certification and everything like that. But I was always exploring these avenues of don't like this job, go to the next one. Don't like this one, go to the next one. And then I did a little bit of college, but I got so upset going to Slick because I was like, I'm paying you guys X amount of dollars for stuff I literally learned in high school. I was like, nope, not doing this. But interestingly enough, I was, while I was going to the fire academy, I actually started driving school bus too. And I fell in love with that job because it gave me hours and money but also time and freedom. Mm -hmm. So it's like I could afford my lifestyle. I don't live lavishly or anything, but I really, especially later in my life, I've learned to value time Mm -hmm. so much more. And now I don't get time because I do other jobs within school busing. So I'm there for like 10 and a half, 11 hours a day. I would love to get to a position to where I could actually sit down and say, You're just going to be a bus driver again and pursue uh, photography full time. But as we've talked, we were talking upstairs about that. It is so hard to do freelance work and Mm -hmm. survive as an artist as a career. Yeah. I mean, so that's kind of where I I fell in love and I'm sticking out the school bus driving job for my longevity, retirement and everything like that. But I'm like, there's an end goal. So since I got in to the Utah state retirement system. So young, I can retire at like 53 and I'm like, Brad, once I'm out of there, it's photography full time. Yeah. But the other thing I found with doing uh, photography semi quasi professionally, like shooting family portraits, weddings, things of that nature. I hate that shit. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it made my love for photography go down because I was doing it for money and then I wasn't doing it for fun. Yeah. And I don't know if you ever get that where you're doing like, do you ever get the work that you're doing? Like when I reached out to you or other people where you're like, this isn't as fun because I don't get to do the creative side of it. Yes, actually. I really, really struggle with commissions. Um, And I think money is an element, but there's also like another element of pressure. It's like, what if this, what if this uh, output I'm giving this person is not like what they're expecting or like, what if they have all these expectations and I'm falling short? Like, oh, I just hate that. (laughs) That, that, that was one thing I hated with weddings is because you were there and it's like on the spot run and gun. And um, I would always think, what if I didn't get the right angle, the right light, the, the quintessential kiss at the altar like what if I didn't capture all this right and luckily I've never had any bad experience with the weddings I've shot they've all everyone's always loved them but I did have a couple bad experiences with family photos 
where it's like, I remember I was shooting this one, shooting, taking photos of this family out at um, the International Peace Gardens. And like, they chose to go out at noon, which I was like, that's a terrible time. The light is right above you. It's going to wash you guys all out. You're all going to be squinting. Well, that's the only time we got. Okay, well, we'll make it work. And then I went out and the person who hired me, their kids were just total douchebags, for lack of a better (laughs) term. They were like in every one of the photos acting goofy and just screwing around. And I was like, Kids are so hard to shoot sometimes. Well, and this wasn't kids. This was, when I refer to kids, I'm, uh, they were like 16, 17, 18. Oh, what? So they you sh- should be old enough to like act right. Yeah, to understand. <laughs> and then when I got the edits back to her, I, I got like five good edits back, like five settings. And she's like, you took so much more, so many more pictures. I was like, yeah, but you got to understand your kids were goofing off. I'll, I give, I'm giving these to you, all of them. But she wasn't happy with the results. I'm like, you guys were kind of a pain in the ass. And that was like one of my last, like, I'm not doing family photos yeah. anymore. Have you ever gotten negative feedback on your work when you do a commission? Or has everything been pretty positive? Um, I think everything's been pretty positive. I, I usually try to work with my client, I guess, like during the whole process. Like, hey, what do you think about this? Like, do you want any adjustments? I try to do that just so like I, I want to make sure they're getting like what they've expected, it, at least like with, with logos. And I haven't done very many logos, but I feel like a logo is a bigger ask than just like a paint me this or, you know, so I try to work with people more, I guess, if I'm doing something like that. But, um, with other things like paintings, I haven't really gotten any negative feedback. Um, I don't think, not that I can think of. It's kind of hard too because you wonder if the people are just being nice and don't want to hurt well, your yeah, feelings. Well, yeah, they like, might hate it and be like, oh, it's great. And it goes right in the garbage can. Yeah, or something. maybe, which is fine, I guess. No, I don't think your art's in anyone's garbage cans because the stuff you create is really, like when I see your art, I'm like, oh yeah, that's Brie. She made that for sure. Like it cool. doesn't surprise me when I see it in your Instagram feed, which I haven't seen a lot lately. Are you, yeah, have I you taken a little break of art? Well, yeah, just because I was studying for my certification for my job. Um, so I was working on that for a while and I just, yeah, I just haven't really been working on much lately. I've kind of been doing a little bit of digital stuff here and there, just like little drawings and doodles, but yeah, I just haven't really been working on much. And well, I definitely get back at it. I think you're definitely talented in that wide range. Like I said, as an artist, I wish I had that um, talent to where I could dabble in all the forms of art. But I also struggle from like I don't know the term to say it. If I'm not good at something right away, I tend to not pursue it as hard. Yeah, to where it's like. You could become good at painting, but I start painting. I'm like, oh, this looks like crap. I'm giving up. Yeah. Like naturally, I kind of, I don't want to sound like egotistical or like toot my own horn, but I felt like photography came really naturally to me. Yeah. Kind of like guitar came naturally to me. But then like I tried playing piano and piano does not come naturally to me. So that pisses me off. (laughs) So I get in this like this realm of like, hmm. I'm stuck as a guitar player and a photographer, but I dabble I mean, in That's it. a lot more than some people are doing. Some people don't do anything at all. So I, doing well, great. Well, I do find that really crazy is the amount of creative options out there. 
and people that pursue them. When I ask people what their hobbies are, and a lot of people tell me, well, I don't really have any. I'm like, how can you live a life without yeah. some sort of outlet, you know? You do all day. <laughs> Watch TV and, Watch Netflix. and death scroll social media nowadays. Yeah. I mean, I, I find that's that was one thing I really had to do with myself is try and limit my time on social media because I would find that I'm just death scrolling it and following all these phenomenal photographers and then doing the like compare and contrast of look how many likes their photo got or look how good it is. Mine's crap, but you can't mm-hmm. do that to yourself. You, you can take inspiration, but if you try and compare your artwork to everyone's in the digital media, because talking about how art, a lot of people don't get into it. There are also a lot of artists out there and it's kind of hard to break into art too and get mm-hmm. noticed because let's face it, everyone like has a camera in their pocket nowadays. And everyone, one thing that I fear that I always talk to artists about is the advent that AI is now coming into the art realm where you can just type some prompts into like Adobe and all of a sudden it will make an image for you. Right. And that scares the hell out of me because I'm like, those are starting to look better and better is the human aspect in art going to go away? Mm-hmm. Does that ever worry you? Yeah, I do have mixed feelings about AI. Um, it is scary. Like you can just, anybody can call themselves an artist now. And a lot of people are starting to call themselves artists, like just messing around on like mid journey. And it's like, it, it's annoying because I am an artist and it it's a lot of work to paint something. It takes a long time and like, it's not an easy process like mentally like sometimes you finish something after working on it for hours and you're like oh man this looks like shit and and people who are just spitting out images from mid-journey and calling themselves artists it's like you know you didn't put in the blood sweat and tears to come up with this picture like don't call yourself an artist so yeah I don't like that what is mid-journey I haven't heard of this it's it's basically just like an image generator like you just put in a prompt and it spits out an image oh really it's really cool like I've messed around on it and like I wanted to speak to that too is that I think AI art can be like a really useful tool um I think that it could be useful for like for someone like me instead of like going around and like collecting a bunch of reference pictures like I could type in a prompt of something that I wanted to paint and it could like help me get, you know, like the lighting, right. I would have something to reference without like, you know, cobbling a bunch of different reference pictures together. So I think it could be a really useful tool. And so like, I I don't feel like it's going to go away. It's just kind of out there now and it's just going to get more and more embedded in our culture. And like, I think probably the expectation is, headed toward like, Oh, if you don't know how to use AI, you know, like everybody needs to know how to use the internet nowadays. So Mm -hmm. you kind of just have to adapt. So I think that, I think it's wise to see it as a tool and learn how to use it, but it is terrifying because yeah, you have to think about all of the artists it's replacing. Exactly. Like, um, I was reading this, uh, little blog post by a photographer who, um, is in commercial photography and he's like, commercial photography in the next five years, he thinks will be dead. Because he's like, now these big conglomerates like Sony or Nike or whoever, if they want their product there, they don't have to pay for studio time and a model and a photographer. They can pay one person at a computer to create all those aspects. And 
most people nowadays, I don't think, I think they look at very surface level with art and don't dig deep into what it took to make the image. Mm -hmm. So they're fine with like AI generated imagery to where me and you, we like to really look into the art itself. Like I can really appreciate when I see mistakes in the art Mm -hmm. and I don't even look at them as mistakes. I'm like, What's that famous painter? Happy little trees and stuff. Bob uh, Ross. Bob Ross. Yeah, <laughs> it's <Love> like him. <laughs> yeah. You see, you see more personality in it. Yeah. Versus this prim, proper, polished AI art. Yeah, I like that too, especially as an artist, because artists can be really hard on themselves. Like, just we're we're our own worst critics, right? And so when I make something, I'm like noticing something later that I messed up on in a piece I did. I'm like. God, damn it but then I'm looking at other people's art and if I see things like that I'm like oh like everyone does it like none of us are perfect but yeah I don't like that these big companies are going to be using it more and more and just I feel like artists get the shit under the stick already like before AI became a big thing I feel like artists have always been kind of underpaid and just been expected to like shell out their work like oh we're gonna pay you this amount of money or, oh, we're going to give you exposure for your art and we're not going to pay you. Oh yeah. I love that exposure bucks. Yeah. If you let us use your image or something like this, you'll get exposure. No one cares about exposure. Like every, I mean, some people do sell out to that idea, but exposure at the end of the day, isn't paying the mortgage or paying for your supplies. It's just, it's a way of ripping off an artist and getting their work for free. And a lot of I would say newer, at least I noticed this in the photography realm. A lot of people I'll see posts on Facebook or something like, I got my image shared and I'll like kind of talk with them. I'm like, did they pay anything? No, but I got the exposure. I'm like, okay, talk to me in 10 years and see how that really did for you. You know what I mean? It's just like ridiculous. And art in society, I think you're right, goes so underappreciated because like full-time artists, when people talk to them like, well, what do you do? Well, I'm an artist. Well, that's it well art is what makes life so enjoyable can you imagine a world without art because i can't like just bland walls and like no art on the wall and no nothing and i i feel like even art in society when it comes to like architecture and stuff like i spent some time back on the east coast and i'm like this architecture is so amazing this woodwork in this home is so amazing and then you come out to the west coast where things are newer and more modern and it's just boring straight lines everywhere Mm -hmm. you go yeah. And it's like, what's, what the hell is our society coming to? It's like we were talking before we started recording. Um, people will go buy the art from Target, mm-hmm. Walmart, things of this nature. And you see the same cow picture in everyone's bathroom, you know, or the same sunset picture and every, and it's just like, come on, get out there and explore those local artists and what they have to offer. And that's, that's what I try and do in my home is hang all this art from like artists I know personally and myself, because I like surrounding myself in that more creative aspect personally. I don't know how you go about like making your space like livable. Are you one of those people that's very like minimalistic or? Um, I would say I do fall on the more minimalistic side just because I don't like I don't really like a whole lot of clutter around my house. Like Mm -hmm. I still like to have like my things that I like and I like to have art on my walls. 
Um, I don't have like a ton. Like I don't have as many as you have. Hunger. Yeah, mine mine kind of gets a little confusing when you come in here. You're like, Jesus Christ, there's so much to look at. <laughs> I'm also really bad about like just framing the things that I do have and like hanging them up. Like, I don't know. I'm just not great at that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that people's homes look really boring a lot of the time cause they don't, you know, they don't select really cool art to surround themselves with. They just pick up the boring stuff from target, the mass produced stuff. And I think that's sad, but yeah, I th- I do think that art is very underappreciated. Um, I, I dated this guy in my early twenties who, it was when I was going to fashion design school and he like kind of made fun of me about like my fashion design and he was a dick, but he kind of made fun of me about it. And like, it basically made comments to the nature of like, Oh, you're not doing anything cool. You're, you're just making art. Like art's not cool or fashion design's lame. Like you're not doing anything. You're not saving lives, like type of things. And I'm like, do you like video games? You play video games, you watch movies, you're into cars, like all of that shit is art. Everything, I would bet that most things that you involve yourself with involve some aspect of art. And I think that a lot of people feel that way about art. Like they don't realize how many things surround them that are art. And so it just gets underappreciated. Yeah, that's so true. And people like don't realize that like even video games are artistic or yeah. like you said, cars, like the whole design concept of that car was yes, done by engineers, but with art in mind, because no one just wants to drive a box on wheels. Every curve on that car is in some way, shape or form derived from an artistic element or artistic idea in someone's head. Right. You want that form and function. Exactly. And that's where I fear that art is getting like the short end of the stick lately is things are just getting less creative and more just like I, the best word I could say, polished and prim and proper, but it's like, where's the creativity here? Mm -hmm. Now, when you uh, first became an artist, like, like I said, one of the first forms of, I I bought of your art was that doll head that was Mm -hmm. all screwed up. I still have it somewhere around here. Um, What influences you to make the art the way you make it? Because your art is very, you can see like where your inspirations come from. Like Mm -hmm. you do a lot of like movie referenced art and things Mm -hmm. like that. Is there like something out there that helps influence you when you're creating something? Do you, or do you just have a random idea pop in your head? Um, I think it's both. Um, I'll speak to the Barbie thing first. Uh, (laughs) I played with Barbies a lot as a kid. That's like mostly what I did. If, if I wasn't working on like a little craft project, I was playing with Barbies and like, chopping their heads off or like drawing on their faces or like drawing tattoos on their bodies or like cutting up their clothes. And, and so I feel like Barbies are like one of my first like artistic outlets. And so, um, I remember seeing this artist, she was a jewelry artist. Um, and she would cut up Barbies and like use their different parts to make jewelry. And it was really badass. Like she would make like these, um, silver, um, like bevels to put around like the, the, body parts so she would have a necklace made out of like barbie boobs or like their hands or just like different parts of their bodies and I was like oh my god those are so cool like and I was so inspired and I like wanted to be just like her and so I started just like getting barbie heads and like just taking the whole head and like decorating them and so that was my first like foray into jewelry making was like the barbie heads and um so there's that 
And then as far as my other inspirations, I feel like a lot of the time it's not necessarily anything super deep. It's just like me seeing something in my life, like a movie or something that just make makes me excited and like fills up my like soul with excitement. And so I feel like I'm just taking those things and like regurgitating them, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I'm really inspired by a lot of movies and I've always been into scary movies and horror movies. So I feel like that, you know, comes into play a lot. And I do think it's really fun to create art that maybe makes people feel a little uncomfortable. I was just about to say that with your art, you have very, um, abstract things and not of the popular, beautiful type. Ooh, let's draw a vase with some flowers or something of that nature. I always notice your art has kind of those uncomfortable, aspects to it can you speak to that a little bit yeah I've just I think that I've always liked things to have a little bit of an edge for whatever reason it's like it's like yeah I can appreciate beautiful prim and proper things but I just have always liked putting a little bit of an edge into things that I do like the way I express myself like the way I dress the way I create art um and I feel like even when I try to do something not that way it just kind of comes out like that anyway and so it's just <laughs> maybe it's just unavoidable everything has like a little bit of an edge or like a messiness or um discomfort to it yeah i and and that's what i really appreciate about your stuff is it always has this like i have a painting of yours and it looks like this ghostly hooded almost like a grim reaper type thing and then it's got like this triangle in the background and an owl and like a little planet and I'm like how did she come up with all these ideas to put them into a painting and then make it make it all work because I wouldn't be able to do that and then you have texture on it as well to where it's just it the idea really shows itself and it just presents itself really well even with these random abstract things like you're really one thing I've noticed in your art is you really kind of have like a astrological theme as well Mm-hmm. Is there something about that? Are you like really into space and things of that nature? Yeah, space is cool. Um, I, It's very fascinating and terrifying to me. <laughs> what, what's terrifying about the whole universe? Um, are you serious? What's terrifying about the whole vast <laughs> universe and the absolute limitlessness of time and light? I don't know. Uh, it's just terrifying because it's just so big and the fact that we can't explore it because it's so big it just makes you feel so small (laughs) like the unknowns of it yeah the unknowns and then the whole time thing scares the fuck out of me like the whole um what's like the technical term for that like the time difference when you go into space oh is that relativity yeah 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 Yeah. i watched a movie uh for the like second time, but it really hit home for me and really affected my like psyche a little bit. Uh, Interstellar. Have you seen that? Yes. That movie fucked me up the first time I saw that movie. I came out of the theater and I felt like I was having an existential crisis. I was like, Oh oh God, time is so scary. (laughs) Oh, it is. And we are such like, as a humans, we like time is like the blink of an eye. Yeah. When you look at it, at the vastness of how long and, like then it makes you is time a made up concept? Is it real? Is it not? Yeah, is it actually linear? Is it cyclical or is it like circular? Like some cultures think it's like a, a cir- circular type of thing. 
or cyclical. And yeah, so it's just terrifying. And yeah, just the, just the little blip that we're alive and thinking about the inevitable heat death of the universe is so <laughs> terrifying. It is. No, I definitely, I can see how that would be a, I guess I don't think that deep on space and stuff unless I'm like presented with it, like inter, the interstellar movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. And then I think about like, I'm like right now you're 33 or 34. Mm-hmm, 33. And yeah, that's me too. I'm 33. And I was thinking about it the other day. And I was like, I'm over halfway to 60. Yeah. Where has that time gone? I know it goes so fast and it goes faster every year. And you like, I don't know. I'm sure you've heard people say that, or uh, older people say that time goes so fast and it just like goes faster every year and you're like, whatever. And then when you get to our age, you're like, oh, fuck, it really does. Right. Like, where's the time going? I feel like I don't have time for all the things I need to, I need to get done. And it's scary. Cause I'm like, God, I'm going to be 60 tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No kidding. Like I was, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, cause I'm around kids all the time and I was trying to relate to like the concept of time with them. And I was like, they like a day to them is almost like a year yeah. or a month to me. Mm-hmm. And a month to them is like a year to me. Like the holidays, they just come and go so fast. But I remember being that age and being like, oh, I'm going to be in elementary school forever. And Christmas is so far away. And then, and it kind of was like that all through high school. And then I got out of high school and I was like, wait, it's done. Yeah. Like, and there's no going back. Like you can relive the memories, but you can't go back to that youthfulness. And then you're right. It's just like, since I've been out of high school, things have just sped up so quickly Mm -hmm. where it's like, where does the time go? And then you start to think about how you spent your years of like your 20s and now we're in our 30s. And in your 30s, you have this really interesting thing start to come into play. For me, at least it's like, Marcus, you don't have kids yet. You need to really think about that if you want kids or not, because that's kind of a, not as much for men, but for females, it's like. Oh yeah, that clock starts yeah, to tick. The clock ticks and it mm-hmm. it doesn't slow down. And then it's like, I think about, well, do you really want to be doing the career you're doing till you retire? Or do yeah. you want to try something else? Because that is ticking as well to where it's like. Right. I, I don't want to say it's because that concept of it's never too late is true. I mean, you can always make changes and have options, but it gets more difficult as time goes on. And like recently with my father, like my father is now 67 and he just got um, diagnosed with uh, advanced stage COPD. Is that what it is? Or pulmonary, whatever that chronic pulmonary obstructive disease, whatever that mm-hmm. disease is. And then I was like telling myself, I'm not going to look up how much time he has left, but then how I am, I just started looking. I'm like, oh, I'm like, shit, dude. Like at the max, he's got five years left of his life. And then I think about that. I'm like, five fucking years. Like, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. How do I spend that in a quality way with him without losing out on things? Right. You know, and like my I don't know about you, but both of my grandparents on both sides, they're gone. Yeah, I only have one grandma left. How old is she? She's 81, 82. 82. Yeah. And then, so you think about that and you're like, okay, my parents are next. Oh, wait, sorry. I think she's actually late 80s. Late 80s? I don't know. Well, th- well, that's good because that, that means you have, <laughs> long, you have longevity in your genes. So you get some extra time, hopefully. 
Oh yeah. I actually had a great grandma who lived to be 101 or 102. Really? Did she do anything crazy or was she just, I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know what her lifestyle was, but I'm like, Oh, do I want to live that long? Is that good or bad? (laughs) Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, I was before my grandma passed away, we were, um, I was kind of conversing with her and it was kind of sad because she passed away at the age of 84, 85. And she did something that I think a lot of people at that age, she stayed in the same house that they bought, mm-hmm. owned it for the for her whole life and everything. And she was telling me, she's like, it's kind of sad, Marcus. I am the last one on this block. I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, I am the, all of my friends are dead. You know, my husband's dead and gone. There's no one around that I can relate with on this block. Like the memories that were here when I was raising my family are kind of gone. And then I'm like, ouch. Oh my God. Getting old, it kind of sounds scary. It's <laughs> terrifying. Another thing I'm terrified of is getting old. And yeah, just coming to all those realizations of, yeah, just all of your loved ones passing on and just ending up in that place in life where you're just lonely because everyone's dead. <laughs> Now, terrifying. being a female in your early to mid thirties, do you ever think about having kids or is that kind of a, um, yeah, more lately, actually. Um, I never wanted kids before, never thought I would have kids or like change my mind about that. Um, I was with my ex for like almost seven years and yeah, I didn't want kids with him. Was this the one that was making fun of you for the... No. Oh, okay. No, this was a different person. But um, yeah, he never never expressed interest in wanting kids and I didn't either. And so I was like, yeah, I'm probably never going to have kids. But um, I don't know if it's like an age thing or like a partner thing. But my boyfriend that I'm with now, like he's talked about maybe like wanting a kid. And I'm like, yeah, I could have a kid. Like I love him and like I've never felt like brave enough to have a kid until now like with him and like so I'm kind of thinking about it but now that I'm in my 30s I'm like well fuck like if I am gonna have a kid I better think about it you know more more seriously (laughs) yeah those those eggs are gonna spoil (laughs) yeah that's no joke I I've had that same thought go through my head lately because me and my ex we were together for seven years and we both expressed no interest in kids but there was also a big um age gap between me and my ex. I started dating her when she was 19 and I was 26. And through no fault of either one of us, we kind of just went separate ways. We're still really good friends, but now I'm 33 and I'm like, you got to make up your mind on this kid thing. And -hmm. and sooner rather, I mean, not like tomorrow, but you got to come to the conclusion whether you want kids or not. Yeah. And then part of me, when I think about kids is like, am I being selfish just because I don't want to be alone when I'm dying? Like I want a yeah. family around me. Is that a reason to have a child or do you want a child for other reasons? But mm-hmm. it's a weird concept that goes through your head in your thirties. And I think a lot of people in our generation specifically, because a lot of my friends haven't had kids yet and we're all in our thirties. I mean, I do have the ones that have had kids and they're way ahead of me. I'm like, God, man, if I have kids, I won't even have them out of the house till I'm in my late fifties. I know. I think about that too. Like if I do have kids right now, I'll be old. Yeah. You'll be 53 by the time they're 20. Yeah. And you have to think about how much energy kids have. And it's like, gosh, I'm tired a lot. Am I going to be able to keep up? (laughs) Right. 
And, Old and tired in my 30s. <laughs> and I think that befell our generation uh, so much with children because if it wasn't pushed on you for religious reasons, like in our culture in Utah, having families young was like, that's a thing within mm-hmm. the LDS religion, or at least from what I've observed. But us out here that are just kind of, I don't know about you, but I'm not really religiously guided in one way or the other. Mm-mm. So that never hit my radar. But um, now I'm losing my train of thought where I was going with this. Um, oh, money. Yeah. Kids are so expensive. And there's always this like push of, well, you got to have a career. You have to have stability. You mm-hmm. have to. And then me in my 20s, I didn't know what the hell I was doing with life. Same. <laughs> I was taking all these different directions. And now I've been in kind of a steady, stable career. But I'm like, I think a lot of people in their 30s right now are coming to that realization that, oh, I didn't have kids because I didn't know where I was going and I couldn't afford kids. And some of the people that I know that had kids, God, they're still living with their parents with their kids because they can't afford it because it's so expensive nowadays. Mm -hmm. It's not like the baby boomer generation where it's like, yeah, have your first house and it will cost you $30,000 for your mortgage and you can have your kids and your car and everything and work 40 hours a week and survive. And your wife can stay home and not have to work. Yeah, childcare is expensive. Homes are expensive. Everything costs money and it's exponentially more than it ever was. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why a lot of people in our generation haven't had kids yet. And then I fear about the generations that are coming up. I'm like, dude, I don't know how like 18, 19 year olds are going to make it these days. Like just financial stability and everything of that nature. I know if we're, if we're in it rough, what are they looking at? Yeah. They're screwed. Mm -hmm. And I know friends of mine who are living with their parents or vice versa. Their parents are living with them because it's so hard to afford a place on their own. Do you guys, do you own a home or do you guys rent? No, we're just renting. Have you thought about buying a house? Uh, Yeah, we talk about it. And we're just like, God, can we even afford that? Um, I used to own a house with my ex. Um, but yeah, we split up and then. Just yeah. kind of dissolved that. Yeah, he um, took the house because he was in a little bit better of a financial situation. So he ended up just keeping the house and I moved out, which was great for me. I think that, you know, it was a good move for me in my life. But sometimes I think about that and I'm like, damn, I had a house. I should have fought for it a little bit. Yeah, I should have done something different or maybe at least like gotten my shit together in my 20s and like got my own place or something. But yeah, I think about all these things too with like houses and kids. It's like, I I don't know if I can afford a kid. And um, just thinking about all these things that are, uh, that might get in the way of like being a good parent. Like I want to be able to be stable for my kid. I want to have like stable income and I want to own a house. And it's like, People have kids and they rent and they're not in the best financial situations and they still make it work. But still, I'm like, hey, I need to have all these things first before I'm able to have a kid. Yeah, I know. I do. I do the same thing. I'm like, I have to have all my ducks in order. And then I'm like, then my selfish side comes in like, if I have a kid, I won't be able to travel as much or do as many things that I enjoy now. But I'm like, could probably still make it work better than a lot of the people that I know that are having kids that are making $20,000 a year and somehow they're doing it. And I make a decent amount of money and I look at my budget and I'm like, how do you make that work? Especially like the cost of childcare and things of that nature. Right. So, and I've always been a, I learned from my parents mistake 
because they were terrible with their finances and I've never wanted to go down the road they went down. So I'm always like budgeting and everything like that. So I think that's another thing that scares me away from children is the expense of them. Yeah, so expensive. I have a question for you, not art related, because we've kind of got off on this little tangent from time and everything, but seven years in a relationship, that's a long time. Was what caused that to kind of fizzle out? Um, it wasn't anything like in particular that he did wrong. Um, I'm saying that like it's his, it's his fault. It wasn't his fault. I'm like, I have just as much part in it. Um, I've learned a lot about relationships since that relationship. And there's a lot of things that I am sure I did wrong, but, um, I don't know. I think it just came from buying the house together. We bought a house together and we were only living there for six months, six months before I was like, oh fuck, like this is it. Like, I don't, I don't know if I actually like want to spend the rest of my life with this person. And again, it wasn't anything that he did wrong. It's just, just, you know, just certain things that I didn't love. Like he wasn't super ambitious and I don't want to sit here and like talk all this shit, but he just like wasn't a super ambitious person job wise. And we also had a big gap in our age. He was seven years older. And so I think that he was in just like a, a different like space of life than I was in. So I think he was just more wanting to like settle down and like be a homebody. And like, I wasn't super into that. So I don't know. I might've been just like buying the house together. Maybe it just freaked me out, but like, yeah, it was only six months and I was like, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) Like I'm not happy. I'm going to leave. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And I feel that's interesting that your relationship was a seven year spread you guys were seven years apart yeah. and, and mine was the same thing, seven years yeah. apart. And we definitely, and I, I won't tra- trash my ex either. We're still great friends, but mm-hmm. I could definitely see, um, not to say that she was immature, mm-hmm. but I seen the difference in the way we kind of looked at things a little bit were differing mm-hmm. and just our paths started to kind of separate in different ways and our interests and her friend group was younger around her age and my friend group for some reason I've always befriended way older people. And I just, at some time I woke up and especially after I got sober and was like, is this the relationship that is meant for me for the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. And I just came to the conclusion that we weren't meant to be that. Like I still love her, but I wasn't in love with her the way that you should be if you're going to commit to a long-term relationship and I've always had commitment issues ever since my first marriage fell apart and so that's hard for me to commit to one person Mm -hmm. the person I'm with now though we are so similar in the ways you should be Mm -hmm. we have our differences but we really match up really well so I'm like maybe this is the lucky one that actually goes the length but it's scary to think about stuff like that It is scary, especially thinking about how, um, when I first started dating him, I was only 20. And so I was with him throughout my whole twenties and you changed so much in your twenties. It's insane. So I think that definitely had a part, like when we split up, he was like, you know, in his thirties, just like a whole different stage of life. And yeah, I don't know. I, I wish I had a better reason other than just like, it felt like it felt wrong. Like I didn't want to just like keep I didn't want to stay in that relationship for the rest of my life. It just didn't feel good for me anymore. And 
I feel like that was a really good decision because I, I'm someone who likes to experience like lots of different things in life. And so after we broke up, I, I moved in with um, my best friend and we lived together for several years. And like, that was a awesome experience. I loved that. I'm so happy I got to do that. Um, because before that I, I lived with my parents for a long time before, like when I was going to college and then when I moved out, it was with my boyfriend at the time. So I only ever lived with him. And so I, it was really wonderful having the life experience of like moving out and living with a friend. And like, after that, I got my own place, like my own apartment by myself, which I've always wanted to do. Like, I always thought that was so cool to live alone. And I finally got to do that. And now I live with my current boyfriend and that's really wonderful. And I just feel like I've learned a lot about relationships and, and just have been better about looking more inward and being able to notice my own flaws and the things that I do wrong in relationships too. Um, like, yeah, sometimes I'm an asshole and I'm sure I've, I did so many asshole things to my ex and that I never really acknowledged. And so it's good to be in that place now where I can, uh, just self-reflect more and be like, God, like, that was a really dick move of me. <laughs> oh yeah. I I have to applaud you for that though, because so many people that I know stay in relationships based on comfortability because mm-hmm. the fear of the unknown is yeah. super scary for all of us. And so like in my current job, I meet a lot of older people and get like life experience and stories from them. And that's always a reoccurring thing of like, I just stayed in the a relationship for way too long that wasn't right and then you kind of I don't want to say there's like an expiration date on that but you waste a lot of time that could have been spent on discovering who you are like I've always been someone who was very fearful of living alone I didn't want to do it Mm -hmm. I remember when uh, I got divorced my wife left the house and I was so scared like I moved people in right away I was like oh you know I can't be here alone but when my last relationship dissolved, I was like, okay, you have to face this fear of living alone. And I did. And the first month I was having like panic attacks and freaking out. Like this house is so quiet. This sucks. Uh, You know, this is all on my own. What if I fuck up? What if I, what, what if something goes wrong? But I became so comfortable that it was almost a little anxious, uh, deciding to live with someone again. Mm -hmm. I was like, but this is my space. Yeah. I don't want to give it up. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I've, I felt like that too. Just like getting used to being, you know, single or whatever and just like having your own space and then having to like merge with someone else again. And like, it can be really hard. Yeah. You, you said something else that I kind of want to touch on and it's the fact that we change so much over the years. You in your twenties compared to you now, what have been some of those pivotal changes? Um, I, yeah, I just mentioned this, but like the whole self-reflection thing, like, I don't think I did that very much in my twenties. And so it's nice to have that now to be like, to realize that, realize the ways in which I have played a part in a problem, not just like blaming the other person. Cause I feel like I've been blaming a lot and I still tend to do that. Sometimes I don't feel like I do it as much. I try to notice it when it's happening we're not perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, just noticing those patterns. Um, and then also like I drank and partied a lot in my twenties and like, it was a lot of fun, but, and I still drink, but it, it, I'm just trying to have a different relationship with it because 
sometimes I think about like the times I've like gotten drunk in my twenties and just did the dumbest shit. I'm just so embarrassed. So cringy. (laughs) Oh yeah. I'm right there with you. I think about my party years from, I would say 20 to 27. I was just a big time partier. And same. Yeah. It's probably the same years. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe a few years after, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I look back at it and I'm like, you did so many embarrassing, dumb things. Like, I don't even want to know the videos and photos that are out there that haven't surfaced yeah. that are just sitting on someone's hard drive or old Same. phone that I'm like, please don't ever leak that. <laughs> yeah. But then when COVID hit, I went from a relationship with alcohol where it was party and fun to depressive, but relying on it to like mask my emotions and hide deep into that to where I had to have a wake up call and be like, man, you are terrible. And I remember one of the things that made me the the most pivotal moment for me to get sober is I cheated on the girl I was in a relationship with. I full on cheated on her. I was like, why the hell did you do this? Like, yeah, no, total, total piece of shit move. And I own it. And, but I had promised myself that from that day on, I was like, you have to change. You cannot do this. You can't even blame alcohol for being the cheater that you were. And I had to come to this realization and self-reflect of all the terrible things I had done to that individual over the years masked behind like alcohol. And I had this hard time of like letting people in, like I'm an open book, but I'm Mm -hmm. still not much anymore, but I was really observed with my emotions and not Mm -hmm. like upfront with like, well, this is a problem I'm having. I would be, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Where's the alcohol to hide all this stuff? Well, it's easier than asking for what you need, right? Yeah. It's so hard to ask for what you need and like be vulnerable. It is. And I found that through kind of getting back to art, through photography and the appreciation of other people's art, that's been able to take the place of that alcohol and those, like, I don't drink anymore. Um, because I was a piece of shit and had to realize that I don't blame anyone that drinks like drinking is fun. I wish I could drink. I just know who I am on Mm -hmm. alcohol. Yeah. But I found that like through the appreciate appreciation of art, it really saved me Mm -hmm. because I was like, instead of going headlong into the bottle, I went headlong into photography and art and discovery and adventure. And that really helped in self-reflecting in that nature rather than masking with a substance. Yeah. Do you find that art helps you with your mental health? Oh, yes. hundred percent. Um, when I'm not working on any art for a while, cause I do that, I'll go through periods where I'm not inspired by anything or I just don't really feel like making anything. But if I go through a long enough period of that, I start to feel like, what am I doing here? Like, I feel like I almost have no purpose. I start to feel like just kind of empty. Like, um, art for me is, it's almost like a compulsion and like just something I have to do to feel like a, a whole version of myself. Um, so yeah, I definitely feel like it helps with my mental health. Um, not that I, I wouldn't say that I like get depressed or anything like that if I'm not doing it, but like I, I notice that when I am working on art, like just getting into that flow state just helps me so much. It just, it makes, it just lifts me up and makes me feel really good. Like, Oh oh yeah, I'm back. Like, this is who I am. This is what I need to be doing to, you know, feel like myself. I feel like myself again. This is what I, this is what I meant for. 
Does your art also kind of reflect the mood you're in at the time? Do you use like certain color palettes or certain ideas more so when you're feeling down than when you're feeling up? Um, that's a good question. I would say probably. I, I would say if I'm going through through more of like a darker period, maybe I'm doing more dark subject matter. Um, maybe more darker color palettes. I'm not really sure, actually. It's a good question. I haven't really noticed that. But I would say more dark subject matter, not so much like color palettes. Gotcha. I've always noticed that I put out my best art when I'm depressed. Yeah. It sounds so weird, but like... That's normal, right? For artists. For artists, right? <laughs> like when I'm happy and all, like I still go out and shoot photos and I still have my creative aspects, but my writing, because I, I do a little writing as well, but my writing and my photography and my need to create is so much more on the forefront when I'm depressed than when I'm happy. So it's kind of like going to sound like counterintuitive, but like when I'm at my lowest, I make the best art. And when I'm at my highest, I make okay art. So I don't like being depressed, but, and I think that's probably because photography saves me out of that depression. So I Mm -hmm. focus more on it when I'm in those depressed moments. Yeah. I was just going to say that maybe it's because like when you're in those darker, more low energy periods, like the art is lifting you out of it. And so you just kind of naturally feel better about like what you're creating. Cause it's like what you're creating is very cathartic. So it's like, it's the very thing that's making you feel better. So you just have like a more positive outlook on what you're creating. I, I think that's a really good uh, way of looking at it. Do you still um, hang out with anyone in that 20 year period or has your whole social circle changed? Um, I don't feel like it's changed much. Um, I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I've been good friends with since like middle school and high school. And um, I've met some people in my 20s that I'm still really good friends with. So that hasn't really changed much. There's been like a few people that have come into my life within the last couple of years, but yeah, there's not a whole lot of change there. Really? That, that's cool to keep those long-term relationships good and solid. Yeah. I feel like my social circle took a 180, but I attribute that a little bit to um, getting sober. Yeah. Is I couldn't, not that I can't hang out with the friends I drank with because none of them really had alcohol problems, but I, I don't go around it and party as much. So I right. had to reinvent my social circle with people that don't do that on the weekends and do other things. So my whole social circle has changed in my thirties than from my twenties. Not that I don't like anyone from my twenties. It's just harder to find that commonality and that ground with them. Yeah. It's really hard to, to give up something like that and continue to be around it or like continue to be around people who are like, really actively participating in drinking. Like even I'll go through periods where I'm like trying not to drink as much. And it's not that, you know, my friends have problems or anything like that, but it's like, it is harder to like want to go out and things like that. If I'm like trying not to drink for, if I'm doing like a sober month or whatever, it's like, Oh man, like if I go out, you know, it's just hard not to drink. But, um, I do feel lucky that all of my good friends are just respectful that way. Like if I, I'm like, Oh, I'm not drinking. Like I'm doing a dry month. Like most of my friends are on the same page, like trying to 
you know, do dry months here and there. And like some of my friends don't drink at all. And so I feel lucky that the people that have been in my social circle for all these years are like maturing at the same rate as me, I guess I could say, like just uh, realizing their boundaries as well. Mm-hmm. And not like, I feel like the people that I hung around in my 20s too, and that I like drank and partied with, I didn't really count a lot of those people as my good friends anyway they were just like the drinking party friends and so I wouldn't really necessarily include them in like my this is my social circle it's just like and it's weird thinking about all of the people you used to hang out with and drink and party with it's like wow I wasn't really ever close with that person it's I forgot about that person it's weird that I ever like hung around them you know like, right it, it's like that commonality was just that drinking partying atmosphere yeah. Yeah, like that's all you had in common, and I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, no. Not that you don't like the person, but it's like I want my relationships to be deeper than that. Yeah, deeper, more meaningful to yeah. be able to connect with those people on a, a, a level. Because when you're drinking and partying, it seems like the conversation is very surface level. Mm-hmm. And when you're not doing that around people, you can get to that deeper level of meaning and talk about concepts and life and philosophy in a whole nother light. Yeah. But when you're, you know, inebriated and just having fun, <laughs> surface level stuff is just fine. Right. So that's that's good that you've kept that same close knit group of friends. I have one or two that I lost touch with and then I like kind of reconnected with. Um, one I reconnected with. I just feel so bad for him because he's in like a really dark place of his life. He's really lost. He can't keep relationships. He can't keep jobs. He's just in this dark area. So I felt this need to like reach out to him again and reconnect, which mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for. Cause I've started that. Like you, you don't realize how fast a relationship can not, not necessarily fall apart, but drift away. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, why did I let that person drift away so much? Yeah. So I think it's important to keep those really close people with you active in your life, just by sending them a text here or there, checking yeah. in on them their mental health, things of that nature. I, I think that we tend to sometimes focus a lot on our own feelings and we forget about the feelings of those mutual friends around us and things yeah. of that nature. Yeah, you got to check in on your friends. Um, I, I really try to be good about that. Um, I really value my friendships and like, you know, keeping in touch with my friends. Like I don't want to be you know, that person that isolates and just eventually gets old and like, doesn't have friends anymore. I want to, you know, have friends throughout my whole life and I want to gather people together. And yeah, that's, that's that's something that's really important to me is keeping in touch. I I regularly get together, especially with my girlfriend groups. We get, we get together regularly to just hang out and just do fun, random shit. Like one time we got together and made vision boards. And (laughs) What, what is a vision board? Oh, it's just like where you cut up pictures from magazines and you make like, oh, this is, these are the things that I want in my future. Like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was, it was cool. It was crafty. And, um, tomorrow actually we're getting together and decorating candles. (laughs) That's awesome. So you have, you have friends that share in that creative realm as you, Yeah. are they as deep into art as you are or, um, no, not really. I would say they're just like more crafty. We just get together and do more crafty things, but I love that. I love um, sharing that with other people. Yeah. And I'd like to do more of that actually, um, like gathering people to do, I don't know, just, I don't like a paint night or like, we'll all make jewelry together. 
Have you ever thought about sponsoring paint nights and stuff at like the local coffee shop or the local bar and like leading the session? I have thought about that, but I don't even know how, how I would go about that. And also like, I'm just, I can be so shy. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just don't know if I'd be any good at it. Just things like that kind of freak me out. Just being in front of people and talking to people. I've never really been good about that. So, so like performance art is yeah. not for you. Like no, on stage. no. And- Like I said before, I feel like I'm very much a behind the scenes type of person. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard for me to be in front of people, but I have thought about it. I'm like, gosh, that'd be cool. Maybe someday I'll get out of my bubble and it's something I'd like to work on of like getting out of my comfort zone more that way. But yeah, I just haven't felt brave enough yet. Now, now being that you haven't like said no to alcohol or that in general is... Because one thing I always enjoyed when I was like editing a photo or something was a nice glass of like a Cabernet or a nice red wine or something. Is there something that you like to do when you're sitting down creating art? Like what do you like your space to be? Um, I do like to have a drink while I'm making art. It's not a necessity, but like sometimes it's nice to have like sip on a beer or have some wine. Um, definitely like to have some good music, just like a calm, quiet space. Um, what music do you listen to when you're creating? Uh, usually more like, yeah, usually more like, uh, ambient or like, uh, just like more electronic stuff, just like more calm, like ambience, like synth wave or stuff like that. Chill. I'm super into like horror synth wave. I'll, oh, I love horror synth wave. Oh, so cool. I, I will find like the playlists on YouTube and I'll just go through that. And it, it, it depends on what kind of, if I'm editing like a landscape <laughs> I'll listen to like lo-fi Lord of the Rings style. Yeah. Or if I'm Oh yeah, movie soundtracks are great. They're epic. I love them. I've always loved them since I was a kid. I always really enjoyed the thing that I, it's like, have you ever watched like movie scenes without music where they take the music out and how much it just. Yeah. It's it's completely different. Or they swap it with like a whole different genre and you're like, whoa, it's crazy. It's amazing. And I think that can really, um, be a, a tool while you're editing like when I'm editing more of my creepy photos and stuff which I haven't done too many of those lately but I find I'll put horror synth wave on mm-hmm. if I'm doing a landscape it's Lord of the Rings if I'm doing family photos it's nothing because I don't want to be doing <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna suffer in silence while I work on this yeah. project I hate but I, I also love to be alone like I like a, a like I like one of my animals by my side but other than that, I like to edit alone in a room with just music going. And now instead of alcohol, it's like I'll have like a tea or a coffee with mm-hmm. me. But I also enjoy editing not alone, but I'll go to like coffee shops and stuff. And I love people watching while I'm editing. Oh, like cool. I've always enjoyed watching like the habits of people and thinking about what their stories are and things. So I don't know. I find it get too distracted. It it, it does get distracting at times and can lend to bad artwork coming out. And then there are times when I'm working on a project where I I know that I need to put pause on it Mm -hmm. where I'm like, okay, are you editing this photo or creating this piece of art from a place of creativity or are you just trying to get it done? Right. And when I notice that I'm racing through it, I'm like, okay, save, get up, go out, come back the next day. How long does it take you to make your art? Like, let's say those Scooby-Doo digital 
those are digital, right? Or were those painted? Those are watercolor. Those are watercolor. Mm-hmm. How long does it take to make something like that <clears throat> when you sit down? Um, it depends on what medium I'm using. Um, usually when I do something digital, it doesn't take me a super long time. It takes me a few hours if I'm like really focused and just working on something for, you know, just wanting to start something and finish in like one session, I'd say a few hours. Um, same with watercolor, I would say a few hours. Um, oil, much longer because oil, you know, takes so long to dry and like you can leave it for, you know, a day or two. It's not going to dry out depending on like how thick the layer of paint is but um so oils i would say like days to months sometimes oh wow yeah um i actually did do a commission last year um for a friend and that one took me months just because it it was just one of those things where i had, had it like roughly laid out on the canvas and i just was like god this looks like shit and I just hated it. So I like ended up painting over the whole thing and, and like restructuring it. And, and I, I took lots of breaks cause I just, I get into these periods when I'm working on an oil painting where I'm just not really liking how it's looking and it always looks like shit like before it's done. Right. Cause it's like, you don't have everything together. It's, it doesn't start to look good till you start putting the final touches on there. So I feel like there, that, that's the stage where I always get stuck and I'll like take lots of breaks because I'm like, God, I, this looks like shit. Like, I don't want to keep working on it because it's so bad. But it's like you just have to push through it. But yeah, those ones take a lot longer because of just all those struggles. Do you have one piece of art that you're super proud of that you're like, yes, this is me and I love this piece? Um, yeah, the one I was just talking about, actually, I really loved how that one turned out. It's like a, I don't know if you saw, but it's like a skeleton arm, like coming out of the ground and there's, um, some flowers kind of hanging off of it. Um, some orchids. I was actually really proud of that one when I was done, especially because I went through such a long period of God, this looks like shit. I hate it. I'm a terrible artist. So when I finally finished, I was like, wow, this is badass. Like, I actually am really happy with that. And it feels good because like you don't always get that as an artist working on something. Like sometimes you come out of it and you're like, I fucking hate this. This is a waste of time. Yeah. Is that piece of art? Did you sell that? Was that a commission? Yeah, it was a commission. That's cool. How do people figure out about your art? Have you done like art shows? Mm -hmm. Where do you uh, where do you do your art shows at? Um, I haven't done one in a really long time. Um, I never did anything super formal. Um, I have a friend named Tan and he's a painter and he would put on art shows here and there at some of the bars. And I did a few of those and that was really fun. I loved that. Um, I did one when I was in my early twenties, I participated in this group called raw artists and they would just go around to different cities and um, gather up different artists from that city and put on a show. And so I participated in that as like a jewelry artist when I was making jewelry. Um, I think that's it. Just through art shows. Do you get a lot of outreach from like social media as well? Um, not so much from strangers. I've gotten a few. I feel like most of the stuff that I have sold has been like to friends or family or like just people that are already in my circle, I guess, um, has been the majority, but it feels extra special when I am able to sell a piece to someone who's a complete stranger. Like 
one time I posted a painting on Reddit and someone was like, oh, that's so cool. And they bought it from me, just some like Reddit stranger. And I like sent it to them and they paid me for it. And I was like, cool. That's super cool. <laughs> yeah. It felt really good. Cause I don't know. It just, it was nice to be seen on like a platform and have someone just like organically, like see my art and be and like it. Like it feels good. Yeah, that, that, that's how my very first piece of art that I sold outside of friends to was a complete stranger that lives up in Canada. I didn't even know how to ship to Canada. I didn't <laughs> yeah, know what right. I should charge and I didn't know how currency exchange rates worked or anything like that. But it was so awesome that this random person seen back when Instagram's hashtags actually worked properly and it wasn't just buried in reels and stuff. Seen this art, messaged me, how do I get a print? I was like, you want to print to this? Like, really? What do I charge you? You like me? Yeah. I, I, I don't even think I made any money off of it. Cause I was just so excited. Like, Oh my God. Yeah, well, yeah. Sometimes that doesn't matter. Honestly, it's just really cool to think about your art just hanging in someone's house. Like I, that is so cool to me that like, I'm going to make art anyway, but the fact that somebody actually like receives it well and like wants to hang it in their house, like that is such a compliment. It, it it's is. like, it's, it's way better than the money. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, two of my pieces that I never even received any monetary, um, any money for them was, uh, one from the Salt Lake County. I think it was like the arts council or something reached out to me to use one of my photos. They're like, we're not going to pay you. And it's kind of the exposure bucks, but it was cool. Cause they, um, you know, those lamp posts, they go up and down the streets with the little like mm-hmm. hangers. Like the flag thing? Yeah. Yeah. They made one of my photos on oh, Magna Main and like ran like seven of them on there. I was like, that's so cool. And that's they're so still cool. here to this day. So when I drive up and down Magna Main. I was going like, to say, did you like drive down Magna Main every day oh, for a while? <laughs> yeah. For a while. I was like, dude, let's go see it again. <laughs> <laughs> and then another one of my pieces, it irked me a little bit how it was used because I was approached in a way of, can we use this art for a project and I was like yeah for sure and I was like and they're like we're not paying I was like okay you know just let me know what it's going to be used for and then later on I was driving down I-15 and seen my photograph on a billboard and was like no shit what the hell and it was a it was a haunted house I won't name the haunted house because I kind of got a little irky to them like you used my photo in a fucking big ad campaign and didn't compensate me at all. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a little shady that and is messed up. Super shady. Uh, I will say that's cool that it was on a whole ass billboard and it was for a haunted house. Like fuck. Yeah. But yeah. that's so shady. Yeah. I was like, okay, so now this is being used to entice people to go to your location and you didn't credit me, pay me anything. Like I didn't even have a accreditation on their website or anything man that's just a, a real kick in the teeth yeah that's that's happened to my boyfriend i've spoke about how he's a photographer but that same thing just happened to him like a month or two ago he um he went for a job interview for this company and um he did like a interview for them and, and did like a project and i think they they compensated him for like his travel and everything but they didn't I don't think they paid him for the actual work, but anyway, these photos they did as like part of the interview process, they ended up using them in like some ads and like didn't pay him, didn't credit him. And that type of shit happens all the time. Yeah. I just can't believe the treatment that artists get. It's like people don't see it as real work or like a real job. It's like, 
what the fuck, man? Yeah. And then I, I remember this one time my art straight up got stolen and it was stolen and I seen it. Um, it was funny. I was scrolling through. I typed in Michael Myers on like Instagram, scrolled through the hashtags and seen my photo. I was like, I didn't post that recently. So I clicked on it. Then I see a go to profile page to buy this. And they what? were literally selling my print on um, Etsy. I was like, oh, you I'd be fuckers. Pissed. So then I messaged them and was so mad. I was like, hey, you have my photo. Like, that's not yours. That's, you cease and desist. Like, take that crap down. They're like, no, I took this photo. I was like, no, you didn't. I have that photo. In fact, I have it framed in my fucking kitchen. <laughs> nope, I took the photo. You stole it from me. I was like, you son of a bitch. And so then... Not a lot of people know this, but in photography, there's always hidden metadata within the image that if you're smart and I'm not smart, if you have the knowledge on it, you can look it up. So then that's when I was like, okay, well, what's the metadata from the original photo say? And then that's when I got like nothing. And then I had made this big Facebook rant post about these sons of bitches stole my art and are making money. And so they kind of like, bombed their inbox and everything and then they said that i had threatened their lives and all this crap oh my oh i didn't but (laughs) the i've seen the actual post and the listing for the art come down and disappear but i was like you fuckers like i hate when i see people's stuff ripped off and so rude and a lot of people didn't know but like adobe used a lot of people's artwork in the cloud like when you sign up for those um the terms and services that Adobe was actually ripping off a lot of people's art really to be used to train their AI in creating images. I guess that's not a surprise, but it's just sad when you see your artwork uh, ripped off, but to kind of make it full circle going back, I think that is so amazing. And the most rewarding is when I just have some random person, friend, anyone just want to print. And I'm, I've always been someone who's, I've never had it in my mind that I'm going to make oodles of money from phot- photography. So mm-hmm. I don't charge so much. I have a, a photographer friend at work who I remember he asked me how much I was charging for my eight by tens. I was like, like 20 bucks. He's like 20 bucks. I, I had the same reaction when I bought some of your prints and you, you said the same type of number and I was like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, I want, I, I just get the pleasure here in my heart when people have it hanging in their home. And to me, it's kind of that battle of like, I would rather have people buy my art that in some of these people I know don't have a lot of money than spend it on that target made art or Mm -hmm. something like that. And I remember my first image I sold at an art show. We were doing like a, a street um, vendor show. It was a Halloween and summer out in Magna when they used to do those. And my first print I sold there was uh, I took a photo of the um, terror ride at Lagoon and this older gentleman bought it and it made him so excited. He started talking about how it's his favorite ride and brought back all these memories. And it just brought me so much joy to see that in someone. So I was like, that's awesome. In fact, I think I even discounted it for him because <laughs> he was like, I only that's have so 40 cool. bucks. And I like framed it and everything. I was like, that's good, dude. Just take it. <laughs> It's even better when it's just just the cherry on top when someone is like extra excited about your art. Like not only are they buying it and they like it, but they're like so stoked on it. It's like, 
hell yeah, I just brought someone a little bit of joy today with like my art. It's so cool. Yep. I couldn't agree more. But, um, oh, I just wanted to speak real quick about the whole money thing. Like, I feel like it can be so awkward to like, I don't know, decide how much you're charging for your art. Cause I think that I would have a different feeling about it if it was my full-time thing and I needed to pay my bills. Like I probably would be more serious about it and like charge a lot more, but it sometimes it just feels icky, like being charging people for it. Like obviously it's your time and you want to get paid, but also it's like, I want people to have my art even if they're poor. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I had to kind of uh, get that with my ex and tell her, cause she makes, she does seamstress stuff and she makes a lot of like dog bandanas and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, you have to charge a little bit more for these. She's like, well, I don't want to. And I'm like, you have to consider the time, the money. you got to make a little bit of profit. You can't yeah. be giving these away for free. But then on the same note, it's like you almost feel like sometimes you're robbing people. Yeah, especially if it's like a friend or family member that's like wanting to buy stuff. It's like, do I have to give them a friend family member discount or <laughs> how I, does this work? I always think that the good friends will pay you for the art with trying to nickel and dime you. I've always yeah, found that acquaintances do not, because I've had acquaintances reach out to me for like family photo sessions when I was doing those and the prices on them. And I used to do a family photo session for like a hundred bucks. I would come to the location, shoot five settings and get you five edited photos. Not, I wouldn't print them or anything, but get, get the digital images back to you. Mm-hmm. And I remember this one time this lady was like a hundred bucks. My, I can get someone to do it way cheaper than that. I was like, what, who are you going to? Cause a hundred <laughs> yeah. bucks is cheap considering it's taking me probably, you know, $10 in gas to get there and back. You're taking two hours of my time on location. Then I have to come back and edit these, get them sent to you. hundred dollars is nothing. That is nothing. And that's when I really kind of got out of the family photo session and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's not my, I'm not a professional family photo photographer, but I don't want to haggle prices with people anymore. I was like, I'm done with this. So I just, I focus more on just creating the art for me. And when people appreciate it, giving it to them, not for free, but at an affordable rate to where they aren't spending an arm and a leg Mm -hmm. because they could just go to target and get the $20 sunflower photo. Yeah. So I try to keep it. You know, because art should be affordable for everyone. I always feel kind of weird when I go to like Park City and I'll walk throughout their art galleries, Mm -hmm. especially the photo ones. And I'm like looking at what they're charging for some of their photos. I'm like, I have photos that look just like this. You guys are definitely in this niche high end market Mm -hmm. because they're charging thousands of dollars. Yeah. And I'm like, poor people need art too. And that's (laughs) what I'm here for. (laughs) We're here to serve the poor. Well, the Robin Hoods of the, of, yeah, of the, the art realm. Park City is so pretentious. Oh, it is. <laughs> I don't, I don't like pretentious art. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I don't go up there anymore, but I used to, when I was a average photographer, I'd go up there and go through the galleries and talk with the photographers and they were always kind of snooty. Yeah. I just I don't like that. Just cause you make art doesn't make you better than other people. Like you don't need to have that attitude. Oh, I know. I, I always say there's like two types of photographers. There's the ones that think their photos are gold. And then they're the ones like probably like your boyfriend that's just laid back down to earth and just really open and stuff. Like you'll get yeah. out there with people. What are you shooting with? Well, I got the latest, greatest camera, blah, blah, blah. And this $20,000 lens and all this stuff. And it's like, mm-hmm. 
yeah, it makes good photos, but at the end of the day, you got to think about composition and all this other stuff that comes into line and we're all yeah, here just to do the just, same thing. It's not just the cameraman. No, no, definitely not. Um, where can people find your art? Um, so I have an Instagram. Um, I think it's just under Brianna.ec.art. I think that's what the handle is. I'm going to look it up real quick. Yeah, you might want to double check because I think I changed it like within the last year. It was under Breezes Christ Art, but I changed it. I do remember when it was that, Brianna, why aren't you coming up? You got the Brianna, that's your personal one, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't That one's your personal one. Yeah. Oh, it's this one right here. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Brianna.ec, so it's B-R-E-A-N-A dot E-C-K dot A-R-T. And you can go follow and see all of her amazing artwork and see just looking at this right now, I'm just like, man, this stuff is so abstract and weird. And I love it. Like this, is this a toucan holding a samurai sword? Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. That's just so <laughs> cool. Thanks. I was inspired by, uh, those are actually called, uh, keel build toucan, toucan. Really? Keel build toucan. And I, when I learned that that is what they're called, I was like, like a kill bill, kill bill toucan. And so I was like, oh, kill bill. And so. <laughs> That's how that came about. <laughs> yeah. And just scrolling through your Instagram right now, you're very into shapes. Yeah. Like I see sure. a lot of triangles, circles and things of that nature, but then you intermix all this amazing stuff. Like there's the one I have on my wall right now, that owl demon moon photo. That thing's awesome. You're a talented artist. Thank you. And I, I want to thank you it. very much for coming on the show and just yeah. giving a little insight into your opinions on art, where you came from as an artist and all the weird segues we had in between. Thank you for having me. Most definitely. And again, thank you for creating the amazing logo for this show. It's, I couldn't have asked for a better logo I'm when it came to that. So stoked that you're happy with it. I love really. it. Well, you guys all have a great night and how I end these always be happy, humble and humorous out there and be kind to each other. We'll catch you on the next one. <laughs>